Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of thy faithful people, kindle in them the fire of thy love. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. When people call this a holiday weekend, it's probably in reference to tomorrow, Memorial Day, but it's probably not much more than the British Spring Bank holiday, kind of a bland title, without any serious recognition of those who've died in service or defense of the country. But for the moment, Memorial Day aside, another day claims our attention, prompts our hymns, and focuses our prayers. Pentecost brings Easter to fulfillment, and more than that, it completes a movement, a long movement that began not just 50 days ago, but more like 90 days ago when Ash Wednesday's acknowledgement of our mortality and our need for reconciliation, it began in ashes and silence, and ends today in blazing fire and voices that speak across all divisions. The gospel takes us back 50 days to the evening of that day, the first Easter day, a long, confusing day that after followed a time of bitter sorrow and terror. The doors were locked for fear of the Jews. It's only honest to say that for centuries now, it is the violence and disdain of Christians that have stalked the Jewish people. But those disciples had every reason to be afraid. Getting rid of a movement's figurehead often involves getting rid of the rest of the group as well. And if those frightened, endangered disciples had gotten out of Jerusalem safely, where were they to go? They had left home and family to follow Jesus. The door that closes as you leave home doesn't always swing widely to welcome you. And nobody got a leave of absence with a guarantee of reemployment when Jesus said, follow me. In fear and uncertainty and in the face of a bleak future, now Jesus was standing in their midst and he speaks peace. And to make them know that it was himself, he shows them the mark of the nails. When you're terrified, it's not a message sent from the safety of a distant headquarters that helps. It's not encouragement from one who has never faced danger or uncertainty that strengthens weak knees. It was Jesus, alive and free of death, yet still bearing the fullness of our humanity down to his wounds. Jesus can speak peace, and when he does, it is a word strong enough to be heard behind locked doors and in hearts that have every reason to be fearful or guilty or isolated. The living Christ stands among us and says, peace. And when that quiets the roar of apprehension and division, when joy begins to displace fear and hope dawns in place of regret, when you know that it is Jesus, he says it once more, peace. And now it's more than to reassure us in the face of threat and uncertainty. It is the peace that is the point of departure. Peace as a moment of stability that allows us to move forward. And then he says one of the most remarkable things he could say. As the Father sent me, so I send you. 
It was the infinite love of God that creates the world through the word. It was the gracious love of God that sent the word to be made flesh so that earth and heaven are brought into unity. Christ was sent in his own words, not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many, in his death to carry away the sin of the world. That's how and why the Father sent him, as the Father sent me, so I send you. How did we end up in that sentence, as the Father sent me, so I send you? It takes a serious and strong peace to hear that. Our lives and our work as Christian people have such a purpose and so great a potential that Jesus can speak of it as a reflection of his own purpose and the work that he accomplishes. It would be absurd of me to say that, given what I know of myself, what I read of church history, what most churches manage to actually accomplish, but as meager as all of that might seem, Jesus sees it and still calls forth something more. As the Father sent me, so I send you. Then he breathes on them and says, Receive the Holy Spirit. And after a long Lent of long passages from John's Gospel, you're probably tired of hearing preachers talk about the way John's Gospel picks up and continues themes and builds on passages from the rest of Scripture, but this is a significant moment and it embraces almost the entire witness of Scripture. The book of Genesis, like John's gospel, begins in the beginning. And in Genesis, there is this amazing account of our formation. God molds the first human being out of the stuff of creation, the dust of the ground, as the poet says. And then satisfied with the shape, the form that he has molded, God breathes the force of life into the first human's nostrils. And there we are. Humanity and its strength and beauty, the full image of God, the center of creation, there humanity stands ready to name every creature and to live in harmony with God. Well, we know how that turned out and how quickly it turned. Now in Christ, there is a new creation, a new beginning, a new humanity being formed out of the stuff of this creation. Dust you are, to dust you shall return and the living Christ interrupts that and breathes life into us. The Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, the breath of God that gives life, life strong and with a purpose and directed towards glory, now as close as your next breath. Christ breathes the Holy Spirit into us for a purpose. In John's account, we are given this life and a share in the Holy Spirit so that we can forgive and set the past aside and build a better future. In the Acts, the Holy Spirit allows us to speak clearly and across barriers so that by word and example, we can effectively proclaim the good news of God in Christ. To the church at Corinth, Paul says, you can't even really say or come to know that Jesus is Lord until the Holy Spirit moves you in that direction. On our own, we're caught behind locked doors of fear or live with a twisted sense of what Lord might mean, what power really is at work at the deep 
heart of things to say Jesus is Lord and then to live that out among other people, that is the work of the Holy Spirit within you who awakens faith, gives us hope, and fires love towards God and God's world. Pentecost, that's the whole Easter story in this light. Jesus walks free of the tomb, and God the Holy Spirit is free to move among and within us. In a few minutes, we'll pray the Holy Spirit's power over water, and that will become the source of forgiveness and new life. The power of the Holy Spirit will be called down to make bread and wine the means by which we participate in Christ's body. We'll ask the Holy Spirit to fill this new Christian with powerful gifts that will mark his life as a sign of Christ for the whole world to see. And when we call the Holy Spirit down on bread and wine, we ask the same thing for all the baptized who come to share in that table. Sanctify us also. We may faithfully receive this holy sacrament and serve you in unity, constancy, and peace. God, the Holy Spirit, is at work within you, within all of us. Our prayer begins in God who fires in us a longing to know and to respond to God. Our participation in the sacraments depend upon the Spirit's movement within us and in the world of things like bread, wine, water, and oil. And when you and I find the steadfast determination that is constancy, an open-hearted sense of connection and mutual respect that is unity, when Christ's word sounds in our troubled hearts and creates peace, we are taking up the journey that begins when Christ sends us, sends us to proclaim by word and example the good news that Jesus is Lord, that the Holy Spirit is at work within, between, and among us. Easter may come to an end. But the eternal life of God, the Holy Trinity, reaches from before time into eternity, and that life is breathed into us as we are caught up in the movement that begins when the risen Christ sends us forth with peace, with strength, so that God is praised, so that, with, that good news is proclaimed, and our lives are lived to God's glory. And for the world's good, ashes and silence, and now a fire and a voice that proclaims glory and peace and enables us to live it. Amen.